Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the, uh, the hard-boiled return of Ms. Tree Panel. Uh, my name is Andrew Sumner. I'm one of the uh, directors at Titan Entertainment, and I'm uh, very happy indeed to introduce the gentleman to my left, uh, who will need no introduction to you, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, what can I tell you about this incredibly prolific individual, a man whose work I've loved since 1981, but he's been writing since well before that. Uh, for comics, he created uh, The Road to Perdition in 1998, turned into a great film by Sam Mendes in 2002. Uh, he took over the writing of Dick Tracy from Chester Gould. Uh, with Terry Beatty, he created Wild Dog for DC in 1987, personal favourite of mine, and now featured in the Arrow universe on television, a slightly different incarnation. Another character we'll talk about in a second. Um, for books, he writes the Quarry series, the Nolan series, the Mallory series, the Nathan Heller series, great series, the Elliot Ness, right on it, thank you, now, the Elliot Ness series, at least, at least 19 movie novelizations, a slew of TV novelizations, including the CSI novels, and um, he is the literary executor, of course, of the Mickey Splain estate, and uh, we're very, very proud to uh, partner with Max on some of his endeavours there, uh, publishing and completing the whole range of Spillane manuscripts, including the, on, the ongoing uh, Mike Hammer series that we publish. It's a great pleasure to be involved with. No, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. Hey, I'm, and guess I'm what? Exhausted. Guess what? I haven't even finished. <laughs> Check this out. He's won an Inkpot Award. He's won two Seamus Awards. He was scared. Yeah, the Westerns are awesome. He was credited as... Uh, he was given the Grandmaster... Status by the Mystery Writers of American in the 2017. Is mediocrity. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> but what today we are here to talk about a character that debuted in uh, Eclipse magazine in 1981, and uh, I bought this magazine from Chapter One Records in Liverpool, England, in 1981, on the day it came into town, and uh, the character we're about to talk about leapt off the page and uh, I'm of course talking about comics premier hard-boiled private detective Ms. Michael Tree so before we get to Ms. Tree yeah, let's have some applause don't you ever multiply don't know if you've ever remember the old uh, Vegas introductions for uh, Sammy Davis Jr but to paraphrase those please let's give a round of applause for the three biggest names in hard-boiled literature. Max, Alan, <laughs> Collins. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, well, I'm so tired now, I don't even know if I can go on. But uh, we talked about my camera last year. We did indeed. We did indeed. A so, subject very close to my heart as it, as it is to yours, Max. And I, I had today some interviews... Uh, Thanks to Imogen. Thank you, Imogen. Imogen uh, in the house. With uh, people who, some of whom were too young to know who my camera is, not was, because he's very much an is right now. And it, so it, it becomes hard to explain that the origin of Ms. Tree was all tied up with my camera, with the notion of kind of flipping the basic, uh, the basic premise because one of the things about Hammer that is really striking that he, that Spillane never got credit for was that the secretary, the sort of traditional beautiful secretary that all private eyes have, was also a partner in the business, a, a private detective herself and carried a 32 in her, in her purse and, uh, and there was an unrequited love that got quieted a late, little bit later. <laughs> yeah, and that, yeah, but uh, my notion was, well, what if the what if the tough privatized secretary married him, and on the night of the marriage, uh, basically their wedding night, on their honeymoon, he was murdered, and then that became her. She took over the agency, and it became her her first case. And it really was, that was really all I had in mind, and, and, and to do that one story for Dean Mullaney, because Dean Mullaney had, was doing this magazine called Eclipse, and he had invited some people who were pretty much superstars in the, in the medium. Yeah. But he happened to be a Dick Tracy fan, and he had seen a little strip that 
Terry Beatty and I did called Mike Mist, which was a minute mystery strip that we did for the Chicago Reader. Yeah. And he, he, he liked that. He actually collected it in a little comic book. And so he came to me and said, would you and Terry do a detective strip for Eclipse? And I felt very fortunate because the, a lot of them, there's some big names in there. Marshall Rogers was in there. Uh, yeah. Gulacy yeah. was in yeah. there. Uh, and uh, Don McGregor was writing and some people that were very well known at the time and still are. So it was a big surprise when, when Ms. Tree was the feature that seemed to resonate the most strongly and we were the only one that was spun off into its own comic book. And uh, it began in, as you say, in the early 80s and it lasted into, into the 90s, over 50 issues. And it became the longest-running private eye comic book uh, of all time, at least so far. <laughs> I mean, that's actually kind of faint praise because most of them would only run like six to twelve issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sarge, New Dust four issues. I remember Sarge Steele, yeah. uh, which was created by one of Mickey's best friends, Joe Gill, and then uh, the great Johnny Dynamite, Pete yeah. Morissis, who who is being collected. Yeah, and that's, that's a great book. And uh, Johnny Double, Born for Trouble. Yes, there's just not very many of them, though. They didn't last very long, and we, we, we hung in there, partly because uh, you know, we, we hit right at the beginning of the independent comics uh, movement. Calling it a craze is wrong, because nobody ever really sold enough to, to, to get rich on that. But we, And it was a month-to-month thing. I mean, it was like, how many issues did, how many orders were there? Oh, good, we can do another issue yeah. next month. It was that much... I mean, that was absolutely the way we were able to do it. It was every month when we were on the bubble, as they say yeah. in in, uh, uh, in TV world. And as you said, you you were on that bubble for a long time. It's oh. fifty issues across four publishers, right? Yes, it was. It was initially Eclipse. They did the first ten, and then uh, Aardvark Vanaheim became the the first and maybe only thing that that Dave Sim ever published besides Cerebus, yeah. and then. He and his wife split up, and as I say, she got custody of Miss Tree, and she started Renegade Comics, yeah. and that's where we did our longest yeah, run. That was, that was the moment, wasn't it? And then, uh, thanks to Mike Gold, a good friend of mine and an editor at DC at the time, he really wanted to see see Miss Tree go to to DC Comics, yeah. which would automatically guarantee it a, a wider audience, and we did. T- Ten issues there, and it, the format was basically to do a around fifty-six page graphic novella every every month, and I, I really felt that was a wonderful format for us, and was a was where I think we did our best work. Yeah, no, I I, I really I really like the the long form quarterly issues. I thought they were great. Was that around the time? Was was that dovetailed with about the time you were working on Batman? Is it the same kind of email? No, I'm or trying to remember. I tried, I tried to put that out of my memory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I well, mean, I take it perverse pride in being the most hated Batman yeah. author of all time. Well, I mean... Uh, I, Next to maybe Bob Kane. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I can't rise to that level. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a well, quick that, Bob Kane. Can I tell you a quick oh, Bob yeah. Kane story? Okay, so when I get Dick Tracy, I get a call from Bob Kane, and I'm just like, oh, my God, Bob Kane called me. And he says, uh, would you like to have something of mine that I drew for your, could draw for your office wall? And I'm like, oh, fantastic. So he sends me this absolutely amateurish, horrific piece of art and a $500 uh, bill. <laughs> Which defines graciousness in a whole new way. <laughs> now... I returned it to him and didn't pay him, and now I wish I'd kept it because I could have, could have probably sold that horrible piece of art for about $2,500. How fantastic. That's brilliant. Bob Payne never disappoints. No, no. No, but, but I, I, was, I was with uh, what, what happened with Batman basically was that I had, had a revolving door of artists. And we, I did several two part stories where the, they had two different artists working on it, and there were no. Uh, there was no art shared, so art, so characters were a character would be fat in this one and skinny in that one, and it just was awful. And I had been set up with a guy who was really quite good, but he missed his deadlines and only did one issue. Okay. So it was it was a debacle, but 
they actually kind of liked me in DC, and I ended up doing uh, the first story of the Batman comic strip with Marshall Rogers, which was a fabulous thing. I I went to try to buy a piece of art from it and and was told it was like, that I needed to come up with something like $12,000, and I decided to pass on it. Uh, My wife will be pleased to hear. And, uh, (laughs) yes. (laughs) But, uh, and I eventually did a, uh, I did a graphic novel I'm very proud of uh, that was, a translation of, a very loose translation, because I was, tra- I was turned loose, but Kia Asamiya did it, and uh, my, my son, who is a Japanese translator, helped me, and because we had actually had the books, and I had a rough, terrible translation to work from, so he, he gave me a better translation. And they flipped, they flip, you know, they, not, they don't do that now, they, they, they preserve the manga format, but I, I was literally in, in, in the bathroom, they were holding it up to the to the mirror because they were going to flip it and I had to see how the how the panels would play. Fantastic. It was crazy, but so but I was not well received. They that I, I, my Robin was one that although I wasn't writing it at the time, yeah. but it was my Robin who who got the got killed on the phone by the fans. Yeah. <laughs> but I always thought you uh, I loved your Jason Todd origin. It's the one that made sense to me. You know, and it's, it's still canon now. Well, right? well, the funny, the, the several funny things about Batman. What, one was that uh, it's the, my origin, which the fans didn't like, which was that that, that Robin stole the boosting the tires off the boosting the tires yeah. off the Batmobile, you know, uh, and but that made it into the cartoon series. And then the other thing was that again, I was despised, and. But Toys R Us at that time came came in and to DC Comics and said, "Batman's very hot right now because the movie was. This was when the, the the Michael Keaton movie was out, it had been out recently, and so they wanted to look at the recent runs of Batman to do some, uh, to put them in, uh, to, just put them in bags and sell kids. Well, here's three Batman comics, you know, and." And so they looked at everything that had been done over a period of about five years, including all the Frank Miller written stuff and all this stuff that everybody loved. All they picked was my stuff. And I got incredible royalties off of, off of those, those despised comics. So, so royalties are the best revenge. Absolutely. Revenge is sweet. Um, to, Speaking of revenge. Yes, indeed. So to, uh, to flip back onto, uh, onto the origin of uh, mystery, um, we were talking before, Max, and... Uh, I dug out my, my uh, old clips comics and uh, had, a, had a read of the first six issues. And what I was, what I was struck by um, was how hard-boiled even that first sequence of, of Tales actually is, how, how hard-boiled the dialogue is. And, and there was someone specifically wanted to ask you, so if, uh, if, if Mystery is, is, a, is a Feld analogue and... Uh, Mike Tree is in my camera. Sure, like. yeah. Um, it struck me that, and it hadn't struck me as strongly at the time, probably because I, at that point I hadn't read what I'm about to reference. But uh, And Joe Friday was your father. Yeah, right, well, I was going <laughs> to ask you about this. Yeah, oh, this is wonderful. I won't get into that in a second. Um, but, uh, but Mike Tree, it seems to me, visually, is very much patterned after the Ed Robbins Yes, definitely. That I mean, was, he's, he's almost identical. Absolutely, that was. And, and what we did with Ms. Tree, which is, I hope, interesting, is that I remember Terry and I uh, sitting at Terry Beatty, the co-creator, and we talked about what Ms. Tree would look like. And, of course, Velda had, a, classically, a page yeah. boy. And so it came up that, uh, well, maybe we should do Betty Page. And we talked about that, and I think Terry may even have done a few, a few drawings. And then we both came. To, I can't take credit because I think it was mutual. We said it's just too on the nose. It's just too on the nose, and we we want her to be, even though it's a over the top melodrama, we want her to be more real. We're not going to do a baby doll. We're not going to do a sexy babe. I like sexy babes. Yeah. I'm married to sexy babe, as a matter of fact. And uh, but that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't what was he, she's taking her head. Uh, but that wasn't what was appropriate, and so we went with. Uh, you know, she's she's rather large. She's not skinny. Yeah. She's got some shape, but she's not definitely not not a kind of a pinup model. And uh, shortly after we made this de- decision, <laughs> my friend Dave Stevens created the Rocketeer, used Betty Page, and 
Yep. Got a Walt Disney movie? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and brilliant material. But, yeah. you know, you, sometimes you can't just take the, the easy path. Because it certainly, it seemed pandering to us, and we really wanted her to be uh, a hero. Yeah. A hero. But another decision we made was not to have her be, well, I guess Modesty Blaze, and I love Modesty Blaze, but Modesty Blaze is better than any man. Yeah. And I didn't want to go with that to me as a faintly sexist stereotype. It's like in order to have a female protagonist in a tough story, she has to be a super woman. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted her to have, I wanted her to be just as tough as, as Mike Hammer uh, and just as flawed, just as psychotic. So ultimately, it, it, if you take the Velda analog again, it's more like after my camera gets killed, she becomes my camera. Yeah. And and of course that was built in that that we had his name was Michael and and her name was Michael, but they shared the same first name. And then there's a son who's who's also so named so. Michael. So uh, I'm really lazy about coming up with different names <laughs> for these characters. I think you get a real sense of uh, of, of Mystery's mortality um, throughout throughout the, throughout the stories, and she really goes through the ringer. In, in the course of pursuing her revenge, her justice, her point. And I, I, I was always impressed by the fact that she doesn't, you know, it, say, say you've got the, say, the uh, late 60s, Mike Sikowski version of Wonder Woman, who's essentially Emma Peel, right? Yeah. It's not that, you know, she, she is very much sometimes overmatched by some of these big physical thugs. She yeah. always triumphs, but, she, yeah. it, you know, it... it it, I, I think the the best evocation that I've seen in a film, for example, is in um, in True Romance. You know, mm-hmm. where, where you where you have the uh, the climactic fight uh, with um, uh, the, the heroine in the movie and with uh, and the names are escaping me. The dude from uh, from The Sopranos. Yeah, she, and, and she goes through everything to defeat him. If anybody knows the reference I'm talking about, and that seems to me that sometimes in some of those. A big fight scenes in mystery, you know, she's really working hard to overcome. Yeah, I think that's, I, it's like the, you know, in Torn Curtain, which is not a great Hitchcock film, there's that wonderful scene, though, where Paul Newman shows how really hard it is, actually Hitchcock does, but yeah. Paul Newman has a lot of trouble killing a guy. Yeah. It's really, really hard work. And, you know, Spillane, uh, I think the biggest influence Spillane had on me probably was in the visceralness of the fight scenes, you know, that people lose teeth, that there's blood, that there's, I mean, that they're really nasty and they're really hard and they're not fun. I mean, Hollywood really made bar fights look fun a lot of the time. And if you've you've ever actually been in a bar fight, they're not fun. They're They're awful. Yeah, yeah, they're just awful. And emotionally ravaging, actually. Yes, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, Knocking people out is actually in reality nowhere near as easy as it appears to be in the movies. But if you really knock them out, you got a 50 50 shot of killing them. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, so to, to flip back to, uh, to get into um, what we're doing with the, uh, the ongoing mystery series from Titan, um, one, one Mean Mother, the first collection, starts at a very, very specific place. It does. And so could you, could you get into to the thinking behind that and why we're starting, where we're starting, and why you are starting this collection? Well, I'm, I'll try to get a little bit on, on the good side of my publisher who's sitting in, in, in the audience by bragging about the fact that I was given... Very, very well-dressed gentleman, by the way, so. <laughs> Excellent, excellent choice of black polo shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Everybody dresses like this at Tyson. There's 250 yeah. people walking around with these. Yeah. Well, it's just that it, it's just that a lot of publishers would have insisted that I start at the beginning because that you know I, I will I know this does not apply to anyone in this room, but but some comics fans are a little bit anal retentive, okay, and they want it to, in the right order. But for me, I felt. I felt, first of all, that we had done our best work at DC, that it was the culmination. Yeah. And we had done a kind of a soft reboot, so that because we knew people would be coming into the, this cycle who had never been there before, that our audience would be larger. So it, I, it was an easy place for people to get into the story. And also the, the, 
the EC, the DC stuff was in color, yeah. which a lot of our stuff was not in full color. And so, uh, and then there's also a, a general theory in the world of comics that when you do a, uh, you know, when you do a cycle of a complete run of something, the early ones sell the best. So I thought, well, I'd like people to see that. I want them to see my best work, so I'm going to give them that, and then we'll get them on board. They'll be on my side, and they'll then they'll have the fun of backing up, and that will be cr pretty chronological then. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we have stories that are out of the continuity, uh, and we kind of putting the volumes together would use them to, so that the volumes would have a relatively equal length. But but the story once you get to Volume three, three, four, and five—you'll you, be able to follow the continuity in a in a very linear way. Yeah, yeah. And can you uh, can you just give us without without spoiling the the uh, tales for those who, who've uh, not read them for a while or not read them at all? Yeah. Just the, the sort of the narrative shape of this first collection. What's what's actually going on in well, Michael Tree's life? Well, what, one of the things that I wanted to do was because at, we had these ten issues at uh, at DC, and I kind of, roughly speaking, alternated an ongoing continuity with somewhat self-contained stories. And so I wanted to take those five stories that together, these five novellas that, that together would be a, a, a big, long mystery novel. It's sort of like, I have to put myself in this class, but Dashiell Hammett doing, you know, The Glass Key and, or, or Red Harvest in particular, you know, and doing three parts and each one, uh, the, oh, the Dane Curse is the one that really each one works individually, but when you put them together, it's, it's one big story because he was doing them in Black Mask magazine on a serialized basis. So I thought if we can lead off with an actual graphic novel, I, they call everything a graphic novel now, but to have something that really is a graphic novel, the mystery, the grand mystery graphic novel, uh, I thought that would be the best place to start, and it does deal with it does deal with a rather tragic love story in in, in her life, yeah. and her unique way of dealing with uh, betrayal by a man, uh, and then also uh, that she becomes a mother. Yeah. And it's called one mean mother for a reason. So, and again, this this does reflect that we do things with Ms. Tree that were unusual. I mean, most private eyes don't get pregnant. Thing. All right. A lot of Mike Hammer never got pregnant. Yeah. Philip Marlowe never got pregnant. <laughs> Sam Spade never got pregnant. I mean, it's a long list. Yeah, no. Yeah, I get that. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it makes for it just makes for a fascinating tale, you know, but to, to see the because she goes through a lot, a lot of changes in the first place, I think. Yeah. Well, she does, and uh, yeah, I, I I think she stays in character yeah. pretty much. Throughout, the, the most startling thing to me in rereading the material is how how little it seems to have dated. The uh, if you all you'd have to do to make this contemporary is drop cell phones in, basically, and probably mentions the social media, because there's a line early on where uh, this this individual is compared to Donald to he, that he was the answer to Donald Trump and. Ms. Tree says, I didn't know Donald Trump was a question. Now, I, I wrote that in like 1991, I think, that line. And so it's interesting. And then, unfortunately, it's, it's fortunate for us, but unfortunately, these topics are still with us. There's still homophobia. There's still date rape. There's, there, 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 there's still abortion clinics being bombed. There's, uh, I mean, everything... Uh, Everything, date rape, all of these. All these, of that stuff is yeah. very much a real thing. Yeah. And uh, one thing I didn't mention about her, the, the, the birth of mystery was that it, it largely came out of that I was doing Dick Tracy and I was doing modern crimes. And the uh, all and I like to do topics that like video piracy, stuff that had never been done in Dick Tracy. But they wouldn't let me touch certain topics. And so these were kind of lined up, the things that the, the Chicago Tribune Syndicate said, you can't do this, I want to do this, you can't do that. And I had four or five of these, and then when Dean Mullaney called, wanted to do Mystery as a comic book, I'm like, well, I can deal with all this stuff. And so I stayed very contemporary, kind of ironic, since the rest of my career 
is a, is doing historical detective yes. fiction. Yeah. So uh, you know, I was in those years. I think I was more known for for doing topical stuff. But if I ever did another Miss Tree, I, I, I just might keep her in the '80s. She seems very '80s in a cool way to me. '80s, ni- early '90s. Yeah. Maybe it's the big shoulder pads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's a part of it. I think you ca- I think it really ca- it really captures that time. You get a real sense. You get a real sense of the time while it's contemporaneous at the same time. The, the dialogue I don't think has 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 aged at all. It feels very very fresh and very in your face actually. Don't you notice that when you, you see uh, some, there are movies from the from the eighties I look at now, and that just seems sort of like okay to me, but be, because they're shot in New York in nineteen eighty four, you go, oh man, and this is very cool. Yeah, well, you're a time capsule. In fact, something you and I have talked about a lot is uh, is the uh, the eighty two version of Either Jordan which very much captures New York yeah. in 1982. It's a snapshot of New York that doesn't exist anymore. And there are many reasons to love that film, I think. Yeah, I, I love that film. There's a line with, where, where Chambers gives, uh, basically gives my camera a Soldier Fortune magazine, and, and Hammer says, I appreciate this, the job leads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's just before or after Chambers gives him the uh, try not to kill too many people to die. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you, and you, I mean, you seen it. It's only when I watched it recently on the Blu-ray you know, that, that I realised everything I loved about that film. There's also all these great vistas of New York. As when you sat inside Hammer's office and you're looking out onto Times Square or wherever it is. Well, now, now that we look back on, on on hard-boiled fiction, I mean that that is, so, you know, there there is a picture of, you know, the the twenties in in Hammett, the. You know, the 40s yeah. in, in Chandler, the 50s in Spillane, and, uh, you know, so and so on. Uh, one of the things, not one of my favorites, Robert B. Parker, but he very much captured his era. Yes, absolutely. No question, no yeah, question absolutely. about it. That, that's, so that is a, and I don't think that's a private eye writer trying to be a sociologist. I think they're just using the, you know, the, the, the world around them yeah. to react to it. Yeah, no, I think I think you make the other. You know, we did run. You know, we did several stories about runaways in this, yeah. uh, and and serial killing. Yeah. When Miss Tree ki- uh, kills the serial killer, yeah, yeah. and 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 the the liberal. Yeah. That's what I would probably say. Uh, like you know, well, he was you know, he was a sick man, and yeah. she says he's he's all better now. <laughs> yeah. you know? And I can I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and Not in real life, but I like it in, in my stories. And that's the great truth of her dialogue, I think. It, and it delivers time and time again. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you very I, much. I know, really, this is a, there's a great bit, and I'm paraphrasing. It's, it's your dialogue, and I just remember from reading the first story where ultimately um, the, uh, the, the bad guy is manoeuvred into going down. And she says something along the, line, along the lines of, you know, I'm not going to kill you now. I'm going to take justice. I'm going to let justice take take its course, and you're going to go in, down into prison to support McCall. All the people you put, all the people you put away, they'll be there waiting for you. You know, they were waiting to rape and torture you and all that good stuff. So <laughs> what? <laughs> there we yeah. go. No, she's pretty. She's pretty she's cold. Pretty full on. Yeah. Yes, yeah, pretty cold. But but the other thing is that, and I'm very proud of the fact that we. We let the stories grow out of stories, and so you have, you know, you do have her going to prison. Yeah. You you do have her uh, being institutionalized. You do have her on on medication to make her not yeah. be behave the way she she's supposed to behave. And I mean, one of my favorite one of my favorite things is when everybody around her, some of the the same people who would criticize her and try to kind of tone her down, are like. You need to act more like Miss Tree, and she's on her medication. So she, you know, I, I love that that the people are realizing that in the in their world they they actually need this woman, and they need her not to be not to be tamed. She needs to be who she who she is. And that's that's what I love about. It. I think it's the uncompromising nature of her character, and she owns who she is. You know, I think. Well, and, and I'm I, I'm very proud of the fact that we were part of and actually. I don't. I think it's overstating to say we initiated it, but the fact that Sarah Presky, good pal of mine, creates V.I. Warshawski, and Kinsey, Kinsey Mahone's creation of the late great Sue Grafton, all after Miss Tree. Yeah. 
both of whom were, were basically fans of Mystery and let me know how much they liked Mystery. Now, I'm not saying they were not imitating me and they probably would have done that anyway. I think there was something in the air because that happens. The, if I understand the, the, the word zeitgeist, I think that's kind of what you're, what you're talking about. Uh, and there was that whole, that whole period where the female private eyes were really dominated really dominated uh, yeah, hard-boiled fiction. And it, it was a new, just a whole new thing, and we were a part of that. The other thing that wasn't around was crime comics. Uh, yes. There weren't any yeah, no, but us. Well, wrong. Batman was a crime comic, yeah. but he's, he was in a union suit. And I, you know, we, so we were doing something, and it's not like we're more realistic, but I always felt, and I still do feel like, Comics were divided into superhero and can I say artsy fartsy? Yeah. Okay. And, and I like a lot of that stuff. But and I, you could include underground comics in that too, which I was a huge uh, and still am a fan of, of underground comics. But in the middle, where most of the world lives, where most of the movies, most of the TV, most of the uh, most of the, of the novels. Are written weren't being represented. There weren't Western comics, there weren't, but that's all because of, of our friend Dr. Wortham, who because the soldiers came back from World War II reading comics of all genres, and only by the skin of their teeth did a few superhero comics hang on and then be able to blossom into what DC did with you know Showcase and what what uh, what Stan Lee did with. Uh, Doing those comics that if I had just saved those those first issues that I bought off the stands, I wouldn't have to be sitting here talking no, to I, you. I had a very similar experience because my, uh, <laughs> my grandfather. Please don't tell me he burned them. Or oh no, not at all. My grandfather uh, served in an American unit in World War II, oh. and uh, he was an anti-aircraft gunner, and uh, he loved serving with the uh, with uh, an American regiment just because the de- regiment question was decimated on D-Day and he had to be moved over because they were, all their anti-aircraft guys had perished. So he served with them for the duration of, uh, of the war. And um, in his American rations, basically at that point, English rations were essentially one step away from cardboard. You know? yeah. Whereas uh, the American rations, uh, he got at the end of each, each, each day, Two cigarettes, a bar of chocolate, and two comic books. And he came back from the war with a huge love of of America, you know, American culture and American comic books. Well, it's not. And all those guys had a grand, you know. It's no coincidence that Mickey Smolene was a comic book writer. And and uh, you know, so this my Nate Heller character began as a failed comic strip. Just like my camera began as a as a failed comic book, yeah. I mean, there's some parallels there. I, there. There are a lot of things that brought Mickey and me together as as, as friends, and there were a lot of things very different about us. Yeah. Our politics were wildly different. Yeah. We never talked about it. We didn't care. Um, he, he loved my work. I loved his work. I, I became kind of his literary son, I think, and uh, I, I am so grateful to you guys at Titan for what we've been loosely calling this Fulane Legacy Project. Because for, for odd reasons, Mickey left a lot of unfinished material behind. And we've discussed this, and we won't go into it. But, there, but I mean, I'm, you know, we've already, we're at the point where at, at, I'm going I'm to go home and start the book now that will be doubling the number of my, existing My Camera books. We will now have, and all of them have, Substantial mater- material by Mickey in them, yeah. uh, and so I'm very proud of that because there's nobody out there finding, you know, 13 Philip Marlowe novels that Tra- Chandler started right. to finish. Oh, or yeah, yeah there, there's only those five Hammett books. I mean, so this is pretty significant. I mean, and I speak for all of us. I speak for Nick and myself and the whole team. It, it's it's a privilege to be able to help you facilitate that and complete it. You know, it's. Uh, it's great work, and the fact that that exists and you're able to do it—that's one blame. My me. great fear is that that you'll find out how much fun I have doing it, and and think and know just how little you would have to pay me to do this. <laughs> oh, did I actually say that? I thought I was thinking that. <laughs> I was—I uh, was going to touch upon Hammer actually, and uh, but before 
Before I do, uh, just back onto on, on Mystery for a second. Can you just elaborate on the Joe Friday connection just a bit more? What you well, think that was, was just kind of fun because... I've always loved that. Uh, I'm, a big, I, I'm a big Dragnet fan. Uh, I, think jo- I, I think that Jack Webb was the Orson Welles of, of, of television. Yeah. And uh, he's been somewhat turned into a joke. He, but he, say, he, Kelly's he, Blues, for example, a great film. Oh, well, I mean, he, he, he was his own worst enemy because when he went back and did Dragnet again, he did a pretty lazy version of it. And, the, uh, and sometimes it was unintentional self-parody, yeah, yeah. which we all, just, you know, I hope I don't do that till I'm like 100 or 110, <laughs> but I'm sure I will. Uh, but the work, some of it is largely lost. But the stuff he did with... In, with the black and white stuff, I mean, he defined a more serious kind of television. Television didn't look like that before him. He was a he was an auteur, he, and yeah. he was yeah. he directed every episode, yeah. and he amazing. did a lot of the writing. And his 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 understated, you know, I always say he it was it was understated um, dialogue, oftentimes with just shouting visuals. You know, it'd be like an egg frying filling your... And he knew he had a screen about this big to fill. So he'd fill it with faces. He'd fill it with interesting faces. And I just... I, I love his work. Uh, big, big fan. And so, just as we gave a tribute to, to Mickey, uh, I thought we it would be fun to imply yeah. that, that he might be her... Uh, be her father. I, I think it's such a. It's I such think a, we had 714 badge in one issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's such a beautiful touch, I think. But you know, I'm as I've revealed, I'm I'm a fan, and I'm of a generation of writers. I kind of feel like we're the first generation of writers who were who did come out of being fans. I mean, the, a lot of the people who you know, Hammett wrote out of having been an actual detective. You know. Yeah. Chandler was somebody with literary, uh, you know, ideas and pretensions who saw that this was something where he could, this was a, this, this was someplace he could go and would be able to excel. Competition wasn't, wasn't great, yeah. you know. Mickey couldn't get his comic book sold. So he, I mean, so none of these guys were, these guys were not uh, reading other, were not reading themselves and saying, oh, I'm going to do that. But... I'm of that generation that read this stuff and took them like vitamins yeah. and got excited about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like where, where maybe some kids were saying they wanted to be a cop when they grew up, we wanted to be the person who wrote the stories about yes. cops, you know. I, I never wanted to be Dick Tracy. I wanted to be Chester Gould. Yeah, yeah. And for a while I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I, I mean, it must have been such a kick to to, to be working on that strip when you did and to have that opportunity back. Well, it probably the challenge of my career has been, and I, and, and I have to really say, to ch- say that Chester Gould had a lot to do with this. My wife and I were sitting in his kitchen in his home with his, and his wife was getting us some cookies or tea and stuff. And, and uh, I was doing a good job, and he knew I was doing a good job, but he looked at me and he said, you need to do other things, too. He said, you will never be, you know, I will always be the Dick Tracy guy. It wasn't arrogant. It was like, you will never be the Dick Tracy guy. You will always be the guy who followed me. Yeah. So, and, and I will never be Mickey Spillane. So uh, the challenge of the career has been to make enough of a mark on my own so that I don't just become, well, this guy is this guy who, who fanishly follows these people around that, that he admired. And I'm okay with that as long as they let them read Nate Heller and tell me I'm not my yeah, own guy. Well, let them read Corey and tell me absolutely. that anybody's ever done anything like that. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I'm very proud of that of that stuff. And uh, you guys have done a lot for me. With, I mean, Hard Case Crime that is a Titan is a Titan uh, imprint. Uh, imprint yes, and uh, while I worked for Charles R. Dye there, I mean, I know. You know, I, I, I know I know what rolls downhill. Wait a minute, that's a bad expression, I guess. <laughs> I know who's down I know who's at the bottom. It's, <laughs> it's me. It's me. 
Well, it's, it, it's, it's a pleasure. It's a, it, it's a, it's a pleasure to, uh, Alex said, it's a pleasure to, help, to just help in it, you know, to just be part of it. And, uh, well, you've been a very big booster, Andrew. You've been a big oh, booster. Thank you. And it's, it's, it's really nice to... Uh, and it's actually kind of unusual to feel like... The, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to kiss up so much. I really am. It's obnoxious. But, but to feel there's like... A, there's a stream of $20 notes going under the table. <laughs> right? That's what happens to me. They have to be pounds to be notes. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah and I'd rather have the pounds. Yeah. I'd rather have the pounds. <laughs> They're worth more. Yeah. Uh, just, just, <laughs> just slightly. Just. Not as much more as yeah, they, right. they, no, they, they, they used to be. But, uh, uh, but, but the the idea that when I, you know, the stuff is being appreciated on that end. I mean, and I have other editors at other houses who appreciate my work, but you also have people who it's just, you know, it's just another work day for them. You know, they don't have any enthusiasm about what you're doing, or they don't understand what you're doing. Um, I've had I've had some difficulties with 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 publishers who who are, are, are looking at what maybe a reviewer says, and and then telling you, well, this reviewer thinks you're doing don't like what you're doing here. Why don't you not do that anymore? Yeah. Really? I mean. That's that's nonsense. Uh, you 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 know you have to have some respect for the storyteller. Yeah. The storyteller has respect for the people on the other end. So yeah, I mean, and that's a big part of what Nick's built at Time is, is he's all about the respect for the artist. I think it's really great. It's a way forward. The uh, uh, something about actually the kind of inside baseball of putting these collections together is uh, one of the things that will happen is the the various. Prose short stories will be yeah, included we, as we go along. We, we're, yeah, I had done a handful of the, the prose short stories. One odd thing is that the only piece of fiction I've ever been nominated for an Edgar for, I've been nominated for a bunch of Edgars, but it's been for nonfiction, or it's been for this, or it's been for that. But I was nominated for a mystery short story. And uh, it was uh, one of the people on. The committee, because the, the the writers, it, you know, they go to writers. It, it, these committees are formed from within the organization. Richard S. Prather was on that committee, and he he and I yeah I lived to have him like my work. That's Somebody so I grew up reading, yeah, yeah. you know, Shell Scott. Some of you know that know that name. Some of you don't, but uh, and I always felt that's why I got nominated was because he he was old school, uh, and. Uh, it's, and he can see you coming up. Yeah, he can not see what you want. Exactly, exactly. And uh, uh, so we have, uh, and then I'd also done, I'd also done a handful of stories for uh, collections that were done years ago, just because you like to put something new sometimes in that yeah. to give people to make them buy it, so because they're completists, right? You know how yeah, comic book people are. So we 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 put those in the back, and I'm doing introductions, and so I think these are. Uh, let me see. So this has a good, good feel as a volume. I've had some people wish that we were, would put on our letters columns, which were pretty but notorious. I, was, I mean, they were something yeah. else. They yeah. were. They were pretty wild. They kind of anticipated the, the internet, and I'm not sure. I'm, right. oh, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. I'm proud of that. Yeah. But there was a lot of, of, of bickering. And they were kind of battleground at times. They were because uh, again, I would with do some contra- swag. With, a, yeah. with an exclamation because yeah. it's sealed with a kiss. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people would, would write in on two sides of issues that I, I... I think I mentioned to you that, you know, I did, did the abortion clinic bombing yes. story yeah. and then Ms. Tree had had an abortion and she, she had some regrets. And so I had people... So I had, I had both sides of that issue really mad at me yeah, yeah, okay. and like well what do you believe you know and I said well you know it's why don't you sort it out I mean it's yeah. uh, I always felt like if I could get him coming at me from both sides I'd kind of kind of done it right yeah, right on I wish we still had the connectivity of some of those uh, those letter pages some of those are I mean they go beyond political incorrectness yeah. into some of the people that that wrote in were and I, I never censored anybody. And yeah, we, no, I can... Uh, it was one of the lifeless re- letter columns there, uh, there were. Yeah, right on. Um, as, we're, as we're getting... Uh, coming towards the end of our time here, have we got any questions? Uh, yes, the well-dressed gentleman in the Hawaiian shirt, Mr. Ed Cato. Yeah, I, 
visuals and and they did not have a, to, to my way of thinking good storytelling yeah. your eye was not being dri drawn through the page in the way that it should be and so one of the very first things I said to Terry was I want this to be an exercise in coherence so let's look at Johnny Craig primarily and then let's look at Eisner and let's look at yeah. at, at, at no, Kniff and uh, although I think it's Kniff actually but, all of us say Kenneth. Uh, so I'm, I come from I come from comic strips. That was my enthusiasm. I love Tracy and Lil Abner is my I think the greatest comic strip of all time. Uh, I don't think his creator was the greatest human being of all time, but I do think it was the greatest comic strip of all time. And so that was where we came from. And he got a lot of heat for that, you know. Uh, he, there there was a lot of criticism that that he was was not very good because it was. Uh, because you could understand it, apparently. <laughs> and then, and I think he got better and better as it went along. But there's a charm about his earliest I, stuff. I agree. I think there is a real charm about it. Yeah. Anyway. And we were coming out of people like Ray Gatto. Does anybody know who Ray Gatto was? And, and so, so we, were, we were coming out of a comic strip sensibility, I think, much more than a, than a comic book sensibility. Uh, and he's very underrated to this day. And the irony is, there's several ironies about our careers. We both did Batman. We never did it together. Uh, and e even as we were doing other projects, and he uh, he and he is now doing a syndicated comic strip. He does Rex Morgan, MD, and he writes it. I I kind of think he may have had a pretty good writing teacher. If I'm, the <laughs> <laughs> name escapes me. <laughs> But he, yes, and, and, and that's names in that has been the, the thing that has stood in the way of doing more mystery is we're both so busy. And that, because uh, Nick was after us, right after Road to Perdition came out, was after us to do this. But, but we were insisting that we wanted to do, wanted to do a, a graphic novel that then the, the collections would flow out of. But we never had time. Now we may still someday have time, but, uh, I don't really think I want to do mystery with anybody but Terry Beatty. I, it, it's, uh, it, it's like, it is a comic strip kind of thing. That's the team. That's who did, that's who did the comic strip. Uh, Terry Beatty and Max Collins. Uh, have we got one more question, ladies and gentlemen? Yes? Hi. I only did once. I, I did a story mar marble style, which is the, the artist goes first from your outline, and and then you you fill it fill it in. I did that with Joe Staten when Joe Staten did uh, and Terry did a crossover between Mike Mauser and Miss Tree. It was called the PIs. It's an awesome book. I right. hated it. I didn't hate the book. <laughs> I hated the experience. I called it dubbing the Godzilla. Movie. <laughs> And so uh, I always write full script, and I, I always, you know, and, and it always amuses me. I know there's, I did, I, I did, I did a, a little movie once that uh, called, uh, well, it's actually the second movie. It was Mommy's Day, and there's there's a chase sequence at the end, and well, I was nominated for writing in the uh, Iowa Motion Picture Awards, one of the most prestigious awards, <laughs> you can get. and they showed the clip. And it was all just running with no dialogue. And I said, I wrote every word of that. <laughs> but you do. You write, you know, you, you do kind of write the pictures. Now, I have trouble with some artists, and that's one of the things that, that Terry is, uh, you know, Terry was extremely good about that. 
And he, he was good too because if I if he didn't do exactly what he did, he knew that he would give me what I you know what would satisfy the needs of what I said I had, had wanted to do. So that's why he was such such a, we were such a good fit. Thank you very very much. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you, so show them the book. Oh yeah, I'll just exactly what I was about to do. So this is tremendously important. We have two advanced copies here for people to have a look at here at the, the bidding up awesome. now. <laughs> fantastic stuff. We have a signing at the Titan booth tomorrow uh, with Max at eleven o'clock and we have some mystery art cards for Max to sign. We also have copies of the Quarry graphic novel. We also have copies of the Mike Hammer graphic novel. Which are, I hear, understand are very good. Fantastic. It's fantastic. Well, I don't know who put them together, but he really knows what he's doing. Not he bad. knows his hard boiled. Um, so that's 11 o'clock. That's the Titan booth, which is 5537. And this is really important. Our booth is a wall side booth. Oh, so yeah. if you try to find row 5500, you'll be swimming in the harbour. What you need to do is walk in to Dorsey, which is at the beginning of row 2200, and immediately on your left, that is where our booth is. Paradoxically, is 5537, which I think that we tried for 20 years to get uh, Comic-Con to change the numbering of, because nobody can ever find where we are. So that's where we are. Walk into Dorsey, we're immediately on your left, you can't miss the floor the ceiling banner. But we've got some great um, hard-boiled, hard-case crime uh, product um, novels and graphic novels great. by Max for him to sign. And we've got these great mystery art cards, and you can take a look at the books here. And I'm telling you, they are fucking awesome. They're brilliant. <laughs> and if I think it's the thing we produced this year that the both yeah, that I'm proudest of. Nick, who's our publisher and owner here, has to be proud of everything. But uh, uh, it's, um, it's great work. Uh, it's such a privilege and such a pleasure to be involved with bringing this back in and onto the shelves. You can say what you want, but you still have to pay me. Okay. <laughs> you know Not much. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, everybody. Hopefully we'll see you tomorrow. The book is on sale in... Uh, one one Mean Money is on sale in September, and we have the art cards, which, which Max will be signing tomorrow at 11 o'clock at our difficult-to-find booth that hopefully I've explained how to find. That's Dorsey, not Dorsey, which is yeah. something <laughs> in England, I think. Yeah, right. Well, there's always Tommy Dorsey. Yeah, yeah. that's always so, right. That's yeah, American. Yeah, great soundtrack of this material. <laughs> Thank like, you, one sir. One more time. Max, uh, on the close. Come on. Thank you very much.